You know the secrets of making friends? They are so simple and easy. Welcome to the Coffee Clatch Crew, the Magicians episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we are reviewing Season 2, Episode 2, Hotel Spa Potions. Written by Sierra Gamble, directed by Chris Fisher. IMDb gave this a 9.1. Our quick synopsis is Quentin, Alice, Penny, and Margot seek a new weapon. Elliot struggles with being king. Julia and the Beast find an unexpected ally. What were your overall thoughts on the episode? I enjoyed it. I thought it was great. And I watched it a second time, don't tell my bosses, at work today. And I liked it even better because I got to watch everything instead of taking notes the whole time. I wasn't as excited with this episode as I was with the season premiere. It felt really scattered, the way they kept doing quick clips back Mm -hmm. and forth between characters in all different locations. I mean, I liked that the pace was fast. But it felt like they were trying to move you quickly through, and yet there wasn't a lot of meat, a lot of substance to what was happening in each location. Well, we had a lot of side plots. Yes. And then the main plot being the crew in break bills. But they were in their searching and fixing stages. So we had a lot of the Beast and Julia, which I'm assuming is not in the book. So they had a lot of, uh, let's say, ad-libbing to do for the show, which we will get into. Which is... True, but I kind of expected this out of an episode four or five, maybe. I didn't think they let the action build enough. We'll talk about later some reviews that people have written on seasons one and two, which I very much agree with, but the premise is that they left off season one on a cliffhanger and came back with season two kind of wrapping up so it felt more like an epilogue to season one Mm -hmm. rather than a start of a new adventure. And they sort of segued into that this week, but just I wanted more of a bang, more action to start off season two and then maybe go to the filler stuff. Nonetheless, it did have some good points that I enjoyed. Can I say the second time I watched it, so I watched it off the website, the sci-fi website, and remember the days when you would watch a show on the channel's website and there'd be like one commercial, 30 seconds? Well, these are long. They're like almost two minutes long of commercials per break. Mm. And you have a countdown and you're like, holy shit, this is forever. Even when you're watching it on sci-fi, there are tons of commercials. It's a little bit ridiculous. I wanted to say one of the things that I'm surprisingly enjoying, and I feel guilty as though I shouldn't be, is the addition of... Martin Chatwin, or The Beast, I guess, as we mm. refer to him. The performance by Charles Majeure is really good. I loved it. And I'm sure that there's some people out there that did not enjoy his character, especially this episode. But I think if you embrace it and look at it for what it is, which is the comic relief of this episode, and actually giving you some background, or not background, but molding you this character for you instead of just this baseline bad guy that you're used to getting on all other shows and i found i found him amusing i could see how he would have been annoying in real life i think it was the levity that those scenes need because julia is in such a dark place right now yeah she's very somber and even her reaction off of him 
being sarcastic and dark is funny too. And you just never expected it to come from this villain. It plays well off of each other. She volleys well off of him because of the way she is in these scenes. If they were both goofy like that, it'd be intense. But the way she's able to volley it off with a slow volley, and then he can (laughs) right back. Yes, and speaking of him, that leads us into our music notes, because the first one is If Love Were All. And this is, of course, the song that he's singing throughout the episode as he's Mm -hmm. annoying Julia when she's trying to work. Then you have Human, the Vice remix by Johnny Stimson, which plays while the gang gets to the physical kid's cottage. The crew. The crew, sorry. You have Young by Ayer. That plays while Josh ices himself after Mm -hmm. the injury he gets from Penny and apologizes. And Fifth Street, the original mix by Delaville, which plays as Dean Fogg and the crew search the library for battle magic. So we got this email from one of our longtime clatchers, Simon. And in his email, he asked us, what are your thoughts on the comparisons being made between this series and Buffy? Now, I'm going to be straight up with everyone. I never really got into Buffy, and I know it's sacrilege, and Simon's going to be mad at me. The reason being, though, I think you can understand. When Christina was in graduate school, her first year of grad school, she lived in a dorm, and her roommate was a little crazy. We're not going to get into specifics, but... I would like to. Yeah. There I was mean, one time, names. It was, yeah, no, I don't even remember her name. Crazy girl. <laughs> crazy Buffy girl. That's all what, how I remembered her name. She had pictures of Buffy the Vampire everywhere, and that's all she watched. She never went to class. She no. would scoff at me every time I came into the dorm. She just sat there miserably... Watching TV, hiding out in the room. Yeah. And it was a decent sized room. So we had, Christina's bed was on one end and it was longer than it was wide. And her bed was on the other end. Yeah, it was a triple. It was a triple with only two people. That's right. And I remember I was laying in bed with you. We were watching a a movie. No headphones, right? So we were watching it with volume. Yeah, but quietly. Yeah. And she yelled at me for eating too loud. Chewing your gum too loud. It was my gum? Yes. Oh, my goodness. Turned around and freaked out. Oh, yelled legit loud. That, making so much noise. And it <laughs> yeah, was awkward. Give you, you a bad taste in your mouth to ever think about anything related to Buffy. Yeah. So, I mean, that was a long story. There's more to it, but we won't bore you with that. Basically, whenever I thought or saw Buffy on TV, I had that feeling of being around that chick <laughs> and I had to turn it off. <laughs> So that's that's the reason why we weren't into it. But this was bigger even when we were younger. And I watched a couple episodes here and there. It was never something I enjoyed or got that into. But I wrote back to him telling him I could see why the comparisons, just based on what little I do know about the show. I know enough that I can understand why people are making the analysis between the two. And he actually provided us with an article that talks about Alan Sepinwall's take on the magicians, the different pop culture comparisons, and then Lev Grossman's reactions to that. One of the things that really is comparable is the way they're able to integrate pop culture with, in this case, magic, and in that case, vampires. So a different kind of world, right? And the way they put in between the trials and tribulations that we go through in those years of growing up. 
Yeah, Steppenwald says, just as Buffy used its monsters as metaphors for teen rites of passage, the magician uses spells and demons as commentary on the transition from late teens into full-fledged adulthood with all the responsibilities that comes with. For instance, when the crew is made kings and queens, it's a thrill but also a job, one they're not totally ready to handle. Every story they encounter has some kind of emotional grounding or parallel to a world we recognize that gives it great emotional weight. So that's what I do see. That's definitely there, and that's the kind of thing that makes for a good story and how they're translating it well from book to screen. I agree with him where he points out they had some stumbles in season one with how to handle this high-concept material because that's what it is. It might be hard to tell just from watching the TV show where there's a lot of light moments and joking. There's things going on between the characters that are very teenage angsty, but you're growing up along with them. You're learning these things, them coming into adulthood along with them. He says in season one, there was perhaps too much time spent on the miscast Alice and not enough on the more colorful characters like Elliot and Penny, which we remarked upon as well. They had a little trouble balancing time between the real world and Fillory, which they're doing a much better job of in this season. And he wishes they had wrapped up the storylines from the first Grossman book at the end of season one instead of trying to carry that over into season two. But thinks now they've come into their own with more playfulness. They're expanding on that. They're winking at pop culture left and right. They're putting more depth into the interactions with the characters. So I agree with every word of that. I couldn't figure out what it was in the season premiere that had me enjoying it so much more than season one, and it's all of those things. One of the links that Simon sent to us was from lithub.com, and it was an interview with Lev Grossman. Hmm. He was asked, I saw at least one review that compared the magicians to Buffy, which is, in my view, probably the best thing anyone can say about a television show. Are you a Buffy fan? Do you think the shows are comparable? And Grossman said, I love Buffy. It's the last TV that I cleared my schedule for, and met up with a group of fellow fans to watch it when it aired. The things they did on that show, the relationships, the music, Buffy's mom, blew the doors off of what I thought was possible on screen. And when I tried to think about where the magician's show should sit in a popular culture, Buffy was always where I ended up, which isn't necessarily what networks want to hear, because (laughs) Buffy never got the ratings it deserved. But really, where else would you want to be? I don't know if the magicians deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as Buffy, But Buffy is definitely one of the things that made the magicians possible. Okay, now he's not giving himself enough credit because no disrespect to the Buffy fans out there. And maybe I haven't seen enough. I'm sorry, maybe I haven't seen enough to really judge. But I feel like what Grossman is doing is high art. And again, in order to fully appreciate that, you have to read the books. They're doing a spectacular job of translating some really difficult material, some stuff that is hard to put into visuals, such a fantasy, magical world. And you know, though, from the couple of minutes that you listen to of the audiobook, how Grossman paints the pictures with his oh, words. beautifully. He is a genius. Everything that he has imagined, he's created an entire world. The way he describes it to you, it's, it's in another league, in my opinion. I'm going to say I don't know enough about Buffy at all to have an opinion. Right. And I think whatever Simon says, we do. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, speaking of that interview, he also went on to answer a few more questions. You should definitely check it out. One of the things, though, that he talks about is how the magic was adapted. They asked if he thought it worked well, what they're doing with it on screen, and he said surprisingly well. I had a very specific technical vision in the book. People contorting their fingers and mumbling in foreign languages. The showrunners and cast really doubled down on that. There's a dedicated choreographer who works out the hand movements in advance, and the actors really sell it. Yeah, you can tell. So all of that tutting that we talked about last time, he thinks that's being portrayed really well. Yeah, it's like a dance. And if it was done horribly, it could be made fun of. But I think they do well. That's what he said. You have to take it seriously. Yeah. If you, if you, in the least bit as an actor, sort of made light of that, it wouldn't work well, but they're not doing that. Yeah. Now, this is a little off topic, but this was one of the links that Simon sent us. It mm-hmm. was from Vox.com. When I asked McNamara, who's not a fantasy fan as a general rule, what first drew him to the Grossman books, he says he liked that they're about contemporary kids who discovered a magical world. But he also says that he was struck by what the series has to say about power, about expecting to have lots of it as a kid, as Quentin does, and then gradually realizing just how little power you truly have over the world, or even your own destiny, as Quentin also does. In short, The Magicians is about accepting that you're not the hero. It's also about accepting that somebody you know might be the hero instead. Mm -hmm. I thought that was beautifully said. And I think we kind of touched upon that during our Break Bills 101 Yeah, it's an ongoing theme throughout all of the books that they're doing while translating to the TV show. I have a question for you, Chris. Yes. And I want you to think about this. Should we be mad at Julia or should we be understanding her more as we watch this unfold? I'm having such mixed thoughts on that because I spent almost the entirety of my time reading the books feeling very badly for her. Imagining how terrible it must be to discover that there is this incredibly magical world that you've dreamed of your whole life, it's right there. Hogwarts exists, and yet you're not being allowed in. Yeah. You've received no envelope. And worse than that, your best friend, somebody you know, did get that and is taking part in that world, doing spectacular things. She talks about how when she sees him, there's almost an energy crackling off of him and she knows it's the magic that he's learning there because she does see him after he's been going to break bills for a right. while in the book and he At comes back. At her party. In the TV show, yeah. But yeah. in the book, it's a time where she's trying to approach him to beg him Please tell them about me. See if there's anything you can do. And then they go on to talk about the stuff we discussed last week with the incredibly dark place that she's in, even worse than what's happening on TV. And you do really feel for her. And that continues on for a super long time, longer even than what you're seeing on screen. Now, conversely, in the TV show, and I don't know if it's the actress and how she's portraying this, and I'm not saying she's doing a bad job. She's a great actor, but the way she's taking it or how it's being written for her, but I hate her. <laughs> hmm. I'm frustrated with her all the time. It's, I understand why she's doing what she's doing, but I just want to tell her to stop. I get on Quentin's side and I can relate yeah. to what he's saying to her and how he's interacting with her. Uh, enough is enough. This isn't about personal revenge anymore yes you've been through the worst thing that you could ever 
have gone through, but that's you. You need to open up your mind to seeing this is now going to affect the world and everyone. What we're doing here is bigger than that. So yeah, I have a hard time knowing where to land with that. And maybe that's the mark of a good character. That's the point, yeah. I agree with you on a lot of that. But at the same time, I feel like all the other characters are kind of like, get over it. Mm-hmm. We have something more important. And we mustn't forget what she went through. She wasn't, wasn't only raped by someone. She was raped by someone so much stronger than her. A god. I think it might even be worse that her memory of it was taken away and then thrown right back into her brain all mm-hmm. at once, which probably is a bigger shock than we can imagine. Yes, and I'm not trying to diminish what she's gone through. I don't like the other characters' reactions to her either. I'm speaking more specifically about Quentin's reaction to her. I think the way he talks to her is exactly how I would feel. Maybe be a little more understanding initially about it, but he gets it. And at the same time, he's trying to tell her we, we have to move forward, though. We need to focus on something bigger, and that's... The problem with her, it's not just this experience. To go back to the beginning with when she couldn't have magic and all of that, it's always focused on her and what's happening in her life. Yeah. And and not that that's small in any way to her, but compared to the world, which is what they're trying to deal with, yes, it is. And that's all he was trying to tell her. And I agree with you, definitely. I just wanted to get both sides. Yeah, besides the fact that what good is it doing her focusing on this day in and day out and focusing on revenge and now consorting with characters that are just as bad, if not worse, like the Beast and potentially putting herself in danger, putting her friends in danger. She's not doing anything to make the situation better. I mean, what's going to happen if she gets Reynard and she kills him? Is that experience going to go away? Is her pain going to go away? I believe even the Beast told her if you do kill him, He still won. He still wins. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I was wondering, what if there was really magic in the world and something actually died in the past and now there is no more magic? Hmm. And that's why we love books and movies and shows about magic because our subconscious remembers it. A piece of it it. can remember that being there. Yeah. But it no longer exists. Because if you think about it, Fillory is turning into a regular earth. Yes. We have to farm ourselves. Yep. The crops don't just grow on their own anymore. <laughs> and these oceans are no longer going to be shimmering. Mm-hmm. They get dirtier and dirtier and they no longer heal you. Yep. And now they're no longer able to sustain fish life in some areas. So in essence, Fillory is becoming Earth. I'm going to go with we used to have magic in the world. <laughs> yeah, well, and they even say at one point... When they go to the Netherlands, the Netherlands is the gateway to all worlds. How did you describe it as the Grand Central last time? Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. The opening of this episode, you could see these circles all across the screen. Mm-hmm. And they looked like the fountains, like the portals to the other worlds. Oh, yeah. And they described how they're all different. We don't know that much about them. We know some have magic, some don't. But there are clearly places like Earth that have no magic. And there are clearly places like Fillory that are entirely magic. So a place like Fillory is going to die now because it totally, it doesn't exist if there is no magic. But right now, are there possibly other worlds, some of which have that secret still and some like ours that were just totally deprived? That would be amazing. Yeah, I want to go there. Let's find the Netherlands. Yeah. (laughs) 
talking about this episode, we have this segment that we've returned to, New Faces and Places. I want to start with one who's not necessarily new, but we haven't seen that much of her in a while, and she wasn't really a standout character back in season one. That's, of course, Professor Pearl Sunderland, played by Anne Dudek. She is a teacher at Breakbills, and they describe her as Penny's mentor. Ooh, it's hard to find the appropriate word for that, right? She definitely tries to guide him in certain things related to his powers and his magic, but there's also clearly an attraction that's been building there for quite some time. Oh, for sure, and uh, I actually like that scene a lot. I was, like, cheering Penny on. They are kind of cute together, and yeah. she tells him maybe once he graduates. <laughs> I do have to say about Professor Sunderland. Okay, so she's played by Anna Dudek. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to get used to it, but I've been having a difficulty taking her seriously. Okay. As a lot of Clatchers know, I'm a crazy Friends fan. And even though she was only in, I think, one episode, Paul Rudd's character, which the character's name was Mike, that was his girlfriend, and her name was Precious. So when she goes and sees Phoebe, she's like, hi, I'm Precious. And that's all I see whenever I see her. (laughs) I want her to say to Dean Fogg, hi, I'm Precious, who are you? Well, I do like this relationship that's building there, but I always can't help thinking about Katie. And I know that she's out of the picture now, but how much does Penny know about that? And he doesn't he think about her anymore? Yeah. I don't know. You just reminded me of Katie. I actually kind of forgot about her. It's weird, right? How much she dropped off the scene? Yeah. Well, we know she's not dead because she got out of that situation with Raynard. Julia actually saved her and she was able to escape from him. But I don't think we've seen her since then. I wonder if Raynard the Fox is trying to find her. And that's why he's going to all these seances. Hmm. He's killing everyone. We thought maybe he needed to do that to keep power. But maybe he's trying to find Katie. And what would be special about her? She got away. Oh, he doesn't want that out. Maybe this is just conjecture. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have to go back to that soon, I guess, and and check in with that. But as far as we know, Penny doesn't even know any of that either, right? Last time he saw her was at Break Bill South, so has he just totally written her off? It's a little weird. Well, to him, she left him, and it's been a while. Yeah, but he was still in love with her. Remember they were trying to get them to talk to each other for a while after that? Mm. When she was at Julia's apartment and they were all part of that free trader group yeah anyhow he's a sexual being (laughs) one more new person is professor bigby who's a 500 year old pixie that used to teach battle magic at break bills and we'll get into her because she's a colorful interesting character definitely all right let's get into the show we start episode two off with the crew back in the netherlands they get one brief look at the rogues before penny leads the escape into the earth fountain Maybe it was ignorant of me, but I thought they killed most of these people when they faced them the last time. I, think they I guess there's a lot two. of them. Yeah. I think they killed maybe two, but what we should take from the scene is that they're not acting like they normally do. Yes. They just stood there and they watched them, which is very odd, very strange, and I'm curious to where this leads. And the group themselves remarked about what's going on here. They're all standing there staring. Penny just bounces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't care what's going on. I'm getting out of here. And they follow him. The group winds up back at Breakbills. They're there, of course, to ask Dean Fogg for help uncovering the spell to vanquish the beast. 
they explain that they found a workbook of spells in Fillory from Breakbill's 1983, but the actual spells were ripped out, including the one they need, the Reinemann Ultra Spell. They give him the stakes, though, they explain to Dean Fogg, that if the beast completely drains the wellspring of Fillory, magic dies not only there, but everywhere. And while they talk, Penny loses control of his arm temporarily and his magic again. And that's what happened to our Earth. <laughs> yes. So one thing I took from this was, all right, so the Riverman did just say fuck off to Penny. Mm-hmm. And he didn't get anything. Like I said last podcast, I thought he'd be with the Riverman for an episode or two. And the Riverman would like teach him a lesson and maybe he'd come back not as snarly. But um, looks like that's not the case. But I actually like the way this story's unfolding. I didn't think they were actually going to continue to interact, him and that man. But I thought this problem was going to get progressively worse until Penny figured out what it is that he's supposed to be learning. So that he couldn't focus on anything else anymore and he was forced to deal with his issues. Oh, I see. Like you said, it kind of wound up being a quick fix. And I don't know if I love that, but we'll get more into that later. So we see Penny's hand goes crazy. He holds it and he's like, duck, who? (laughs) Everyone. Everyone. (laughs) And it starts swinging, which I thought was kind of funny. There was a very serious conversation that was broken up perfectly and Dean Fogg going, what the hell was that? Well, and here, too, is what could have been a very dark topic. Penny struggling with the thing that's more important to him than anything else, his ability to control the magic, and yet they're making it humorous. Meanwhile, Julia and Martin are back at the apartment where Martin's incessant singing is starting to drive Julia crazy. (laughs) So this is when we first get to see him singing. And I thought it was great because just going off of what we said last podcast, I love the way they're portraying his character. And now we got him singing and he's all jubilee. He's hopped up on sugar. (laughs) He's eating treasure crunch. And then some kind of ice cream pops or something later. He just can't stop. By the way, I hate those pops. They start, it's like cardboard around it. Mm -hmm. And you have to push from the bottom as you go through. And it inevitably melts into the cardboard and then starts dripping on your hand. It's nasty. It's funny, though. These must be the few things that, you know, they don't have in Fillory that he yeah. misses while he's away. So he's enjoying himself. Again, though, it's another thing where you can almost see the childlike Martin coming out in him. Even For though sure. they keep trying to convince us that he's got no humanity left, but it's everywhere. He's got a lot of humor. I wonder... Yeah, there's no humor without emotion, right? So he's got to have emotions left. You would think so. Even the way he interacts with Julia sometimes. I mean, he goes back and forth. Now, in the next moment, she's getting angry with him and says it would be easier if he helped her. But he replies, well, I'd ruin your primitive purity. You're an absolute savage. (laughs) And then, even darker, he also tells her he doubts her friends are her friends anymore and that they won't be royals for long. Very flippantly. Yeah. And this is where she deduces out of nowhere, very Sherlock-esque, that he put a curse on the castle, like out of all the things. Yes. So we know there's a curse there. And we'll hear more about that later, but we don't find out exactly what it is. He won't tell her. She doesn't know. But we do find out that there's dead bodies. So he does kill them. And apparently the king's men just leave them in there to rot and die. 
Yeah, I don't know. It's very weird in the next scene. You go back to Fillory for a moment and the attendants are showing Ellie at the throne room and he walks in and there's an awful stench. He sees it's filled with dead bodies all wearing crowns and Martin is sort of narrating at the same time back with Julia and explaining that Ember made it impossible for him to ever take the throne. So children of Earth just kept coming trying to rule, but he placed this spell on the castle which involved a test that no one could pass and would inevitably lead to their deaths. Right. Do you have to figure that still on there? They're still going to experience that if they don't figure it out. That is consuming. I hope that they do. Well, they will figure it out. And I think that it's going to be a fun scene or scenes. Hmm. I'm thinking now, maybe they didn't know the bodies were there because remember they lost the key? Yes. Maybe they were locked in there. They lost a bunch of keys, right? I just remember the throne mm. room key. Real quick, back to the beast. I kept looking for a piano. I was like, oh, with his magic, he's playing the piano. But he's actually playing piano out of nowhere. There is no piano in there. Yeah, he, it was so cool. he had a cue with his hand like he was starting it up yeah. as he sang. And he doesn't have a bad voice, this guy. But also, you were talking about the disregard for other people. I don't think he has much empathy, if any at all, for other people. But he does seem to be building some kind of affect for Julia. He has some connection to her. And initially, we did think it's just because he wants something out of her, and that could still be, but I'm getting the feeling that he's actually starting to like her in his own strange way. Yeah, maybe, but I'm also well aware of the fact that I try to see the good in everybody, Mm -hmm. and I often fall victim to the I think he's going to be fine. He's going to be a good guy. Oh, yeah. I don't think he's going to be a good guy at all. But, yeah. I think it's also putting Julia off her guard a bit, and maybe that's his ultimate goal. He also reminds her that she won't be able to summon Reynard again because he won't come if he knows that it's Julia. But at this point, he reveals his plan to use a new young girl as bait. To which Julia reminds them of their deal. If he goes against her or the people she loves, the Leo knife will kill him. I think it's also cool if you guys check it out and go back. If you didn't notice the first time, especially in the beginning scenes with the Beast and Julia, they're using a handheld camera and they're purposefully being kind of shaky with it. Mm. And I think what that does is it creates the uncomfortable feelings and uneasy feeling while he sings. So it's like the juxtaposition between the jubilee singing and this uneasy feeling of the gray room and the camera kind of moving and shaking a little bit. It's Julia's internal reaction to that, right? She doesn't know quite what to do with it. It should be funny, it's actually annoying, and yet this is a villain that's there with her in her apartment. The whole thing is very bizarre. Do you think we're going to have a scene where they both laugh at something together? Will he finally crack her? Mm. It could be. I think it's very much going to depend on what happens now with Marina. Bringing a third person in is going to change that dynamic and maybe make her more aware of what it is she's doing and how crazy it all is. Yeah. But I love this storyline. Might as well talk about it right now. I think this is a good parallel with what the crew is going through. I'm hoping that they keep this up and they don't go off the rails and make him too corny, Mm -hmm. but they keep that balancing act that they're doing right now. And I think he'll be really memorable character. I enjoy him almost more than anybody. I was starting to feel like the back and forth was getting to be a little much just because there wasn't a lot happening in the Martin Julia storyline. 
I mean, it's been episodes of that, just the two of them sitting around in the apartment trying to figure out what to do, but they're finally now getting somewhere towards the end of this episode, so I'm interested to see what happens. Okay, let's go over to Elliot, who is trying desperately to hold on to some hope. He has a disastrous first attempt at recreating champagne in Fillory. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Classical Elliot, one of my favorite characters, and right away he's tasting it and he's like, He's going to name, he's like, of course, it can't be called champagne, but I'm thinking about naming the field champagne, so it can be. (laughs) And in discussing this, Fenn confides the reason for it. There hasn't been an inspiring ruler of Fillory since Rupert Chatwin. Which, by the way, they've kind of brought up Rupert a couple of times now. He wasn't a figure at all in the books, but it seems like they're going to fall back on him a lot as being one of the really good children of earth to come to Fillory. So that's the middle brother? No, the oldest brother. No, the middle one that we talked about. We had kind of wondered what happened to him, the one that went off to war, war. but he was able to get back in. And it seems he ruled for a while and was a good leader. But now Elliot's people are starving and magic is the problem. He needs to start helping his kingdom. The people are starving. Seriously? Oh, okay. We should probably get on that. And I'm guessing magic probably won't do the trick. Magic is the problem. Oh, boy. At break bills, Margot leads the group back to the physical kid's cottage, which is difficult at first because it's currently invisible due to a trick played each year on the first years. I thought that was a funny scene, and it was a good way to get Margot back into the fold because she's kind of a... Out there right now. She's There's been nothing sidelined. Much for her. Yeah. Yeah. I wish they took that further because that's the fun part. So how do so it disappeared, which means it's in another location because they walked away. But I'd like to see how they Or it's just hidden, they can't see it. We don't really know. But yet we it never been find fun out. to see them find it. It just would have been cool. A ten second clip like it's over here. We did it with this, this, and this. Yep. It's under this bush or you know, something funny. They would have been cool. They wrote it off. All of a sudden they're just walking in. And they find a party in full swing where Penny confronts Josh for abandoning them. He's about to do magic on him, but his hands stop himself. They act of their own accord and he's not able to, but he does, what does he do, kick him, knee him? Yeah, he kicks him. <laughs> and my legs still work. So this is where I came out with this hypothesis that I'm 99% sure I'm wrong, but it's really fun to hypothesize about this. So mm-hmm. I'm just going to throw it out there. I wrote in my notes, looks like Penny's hands have a mind of their own, or almost maybe actually act off of Penny's subconsciousness. Now, what led me to that is that we know that Penny hides behind this gruff attitude personality. Yeah, an exterior. It's funny, exterior, yeah. Um, because he's actually has a lot of feelings that he's just trying to keep down inside. So I thought, yes, he was mad at Josh, and he did want to kick his ass, but... In, in actuality, he didn't want to, and he was glad to see him. And that's why his hands just went to get Went him a out handshake. to shake him, yeah. So I, I think it fits really well in that scene. But then again, I don't see it working like that in the other scenes. Now, the first scene when he starts swinging at everyone, that could be his frustration. So his subconscious was really mad at what was going on and the fact that they have to find this book and they might lose magic and he's struggling with the fact that he... Pretty much feels like he already lost his magic. 
And that's why he wanted to strike out? Yeah, it could be less of his subconscious and more pure emotion that it's running off of. Who okay. knows? I, I mean, I wish we kind of had seen more of that. Again, there's so many things that this could have revealed and it could have brought out Penny's character a lot more and it's, it's resolved pretty quickly. I mean, you never know. We I'm could... not sure it's resolved. I think this was just a Band-Aid. Oh, I thought she had actually healed it because we, we get the temporary fix from Margot, which we'll see in a minute, and then Pearl comes in, Professor Sunderland, she does her thing, and it takes all night, 12 hours. It seems like she has actually fixed him. He thanks her profusely for it, but I think there's a string attached because when it's all done, she has to keep the silver chains on mm-hmm. his wrists. So I think it's somehow contingent upon that. Right. And again, no chains in the book, so I'm free to <laughs> conjecture here. I really don't know what that's about. But yeah, you could be right. We could be going back to that eventually. I think for sure. They're not just going to fix it like that. Back in the scene, Josh apologizes to the crew and admits he doesn't know where Victoria went. And by the way, he has also been telling the other kids that Fillory is real. You know that's going to be a problem eventually. What is wrong with this Josh character? He's crazy. I was wondering where that other woman is. Victoria. Yeah. That, that keeps messing me up because I think this was the character called Anais from the books. Okay. Josh, nice name. Josh was a whole lot funnier in the books. He, he was good when we first saw him. He's getting a little bit annoying now. I hope they either kind of push him to the side or bring him back in as the lovable, funny Josh. Yeah. He, he did, though, tend to bail when things got difficult, even in the book. <laughs> so I guess that's fitting. Next, Professor Sunderland is also surprised to find out that Fillory is real when Dean Fogg pulls her into their dilemma. He explains that the crew needs battle magic. It was once a required course at Break Bills, but was outlawed due to a messy situation. At this decision, Professor Bigby the 500-year-old pixie who used to teach the subject at the time, disagreed and was fired. Before she left, she hinted to the dean, you'll need them someday. The dean only knows that they are in the library somewhere and that no one knows the library better than Pearl. Just another case of Dean Fogg being a shithead. Does he ever actually help with anything? Uh, No, I was going to bring that up, and I will uh, a lot of times in this episode. You made a comparison last time to Dumbledore. Yeah. I think he's even less cool, less cool and effective yeah. than Dumbledore. I mean, he does something at the end of this episode. We'll get there. But he's got a personality that's kind of obnoxious at times. They bring Pearl in on the case, which is definitely going to help. This is the part where Margot gives Penny an amped-up hangover cure that she came up with on her own, containing nightshade. That provides a temporary cure for his problem, but he needs to keep drinking it quite frequently. When they went to the physical house, I thought for sure we'd get a clue of how long they've been gone. And we didn't, unfortunately. But for some reason, my mind wants to know, like, how long did it equal this time? See, it kind of seemed like this is one of those times where very little time had passed. Nobody seemed surprised to see them. Dean Fogg just kind of picked up where they left off. And we know that there were times where that happened with the Chatwins. Back over to Martin and Julia, he finally reveals his bait to her, who turns out to be Marina. Julia tries to explain that Marina needs to help, as Reynard will come after her either way, but Marina refuses and leaves them with no plan. Martin tells Julia she's doomed and likely to get him killed as well. 
If she'd let him take just a little of her shade, she wouldn't be having these problems. She would be, quote, free of this idiotic moral quagmire. I told you not to untie her. <laughs> it's funny, too, though. Yeah. I mean, even Marita, she walks in, she's like, listen, this shit is messed <laughs> up. I am not hanging out here to help you guys. I'm out. Can we get a brief jump over to what I thought was kind of a weird scene. It felt really jammed in there and out of place. I think they were like, all right, we're going to go back and check in on this whole Alice and Quentin relationship. They're having a private conversation. Alice confesses to him that the bracelet she has been wearing is burning and it alerts her how much time she has left, I guess, on her God power. Oh, okay. I don't know how she developed this. We never saw it before, I don't think. But she does make reference several times throughout the episode that she knows the time is running out. She can feel the power slipping. There's pressure on her. Yeah, I'm guessing that that was a scene that they did cut where she puts on the bracelet. And they probably were like, we got to move forward. Also, take this scene out now. Well, I think they felt it was important to show that they're still in love with each other and they're still battling their own feelings off of each other. I loved what you said. <laughs> you said together they are Q&A. I thought that was genius. (laughs) Yes, I never thought about it until this scene. And P.S., I'm in love with Alice. Are you really? I I love not the character of Alice, but the actress, and I mustn't tell a lie. I must not tell lies. Oh, the actress. Okay. beautiful. She's gorgeous. I think Julia, the actress that plays Julia. Yeah. I'm sorry, I can't think of... Oh, Stella. She's got a beautiful name in real life. That's my grandma's name. Stella Maeve. How gorgeous is that? Yeah. She Stella. is a knockout, so I just yeah, can't. Yeah, she's hot too. Put anybody I mean, she's else. She's more my what I normally go for. Yeah, but Olivia, Olivia Taylor Dudley. Her. She yeah, she's pretty as well. But she's also getting progressively a little less nerdy mm-hmm. as time goes on. They still have her in those dresses and the glasses and whatnot, but. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, There was an uncomfortable exchange here. Q offers to help her carry the weight, but they both seem to realize that she needs to do it. I I think they're struggling with where to go in their relationship now. The writers, that is, how to handle Q&A. They very quickly cut away from that, and we go back to after leaving Julia, Marina realizes that Reynard is a problem for them all. So she starts trying to unite hedge witches against him. She calls her West Coast Counterpoint to alert her of the upcoming fight. But when she gets to her office, she finds her murdered and mutilated. Yeah, I was feeling some confidence. I was like, oh shit, now we're going to get some Hedgewitch action. And it looks like we're not. Yeah, that would have been fun because we know that they're very powerful. They have magic that even students weren't learning at break bills. They had discovered it was kind of rough very strong yeah Yeah, and dangerous it would have been the perfect thing for fighting you find out quickly i would have liked to see a little more than this that they've been at odds marina and whoever this other woman is they've sort of agreed to just stay out of each other's way she runs the east coast this other woman runs the west coast that's what happens when you have no structure Yeah, but now they were going to finally team up, maybe get other people to the cause, and Reynard got to her first. Yeah, and it's important to note that, so we know that Reynard doesn't just attack when he's summoned, because that's kind of what the feel we were getting last episode. Yeah. Like, oh, they had a summons here, and he came and killed them. But this one, she obviously wasn't doing that. He seems to be following the train of people that could be a danger to him. Maybe. 
But if this is a god, I feel like, yeah. Well, if we they united, if they united a ton of people against him, yeah. maybe they could be. You, you just don't know. I, I hope they explain that a little better. But why would he go all the way to the West Coast first when Instead he's got all these people Marina? on the East Coast? Yeah, it's yeah. a good point. Back in Fillory, Elliot is having his own problems. He learns about their agricultural difficulties. Crops used to grow on their own magic, but now that is drained, they need to do actual farm work, and the Florians don't know how. With difficulty, he confesses to Fen that he grew up on a farm. I grew up on a farm. That's your secret? I spent years blocking it all out. The smell of wet hay, feel of an utter taste of fresh goat milk. And the worst humans in the known universe, my family, is coming back. And if it all comes back, I'm pretty sure I'll know exactly what to do. That's wonderful. <laughs> On a planet with no loft. Now you sound like my king. Just as a side note, it seems like one of the guards was giving Elliot the eye. Oh, absolutely. During this private conversation. I love this scene. And I'm probably, people are going to get sick of me saying this, but I love when Elliot's in a scene. Oh, he's a great character. Anytime. I love how he's so dramatic. Please, God, make me pass out here. <laughs> no? No? Uh, all right. <laughs> and then he has to tell her, and she's like, that's your secret? He still can't believe that he has to deal with all of this, that he's high king. Yeah. And his first responsibility is going back to the one thing he never wanted to think about again, that he has spent his life trying to escape, which they built in a much better backstory for Elliot. None of this came from the book. No. So I grew up in Iowa or whatever. I was a farmer. I think this was beautiful because this show keeps going back to real life issues mm. that you take care of. You spend your whole life running away from things that your parents used to do that you're like, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. And then you realize one day you are that or, you know, things of that nature. So I think this touches upon that when you grow up and he's being forced to grow up real fast right now, that you realize something that you've been running away from, you either need to do or you turned into. It's perfect that he has to face this. He has spent his adult life trying to rebuild an image right? Of a wealthy, yeah. aristocratic type person. He dresses well. He's high society. He knows everything about fine wines. Now he's dumped into this place, which should have been the, the perfect ideal. spot for Elliot, high king, who just has to sit up in his castle white spire on his throne and hmm. be kingly. And yet that's not it at all. He has to deal with figuring out how to fertilize with shit. I yep. mean, this is the worst That's task brilliant. ever. And he's not even allowed to look at the good-looking men <laughs> that are part of his guard. Do you think this is why Elliot became... I mean, this can't be the only reason, right? That he was chosen to be high king because he knows how to farm? No. No, definitely not. But I think it's one piece of the puzzle that's going to reveal there's so much more to Elliot than we thought. And he is able... To, as you said, grow up and step up and figure out his purpose in life and the fact that it's not always the one that you think it is. It wasn't Quentin who's going to be in charge of running the kingdom. Everyone is going to have their own quest. And Elliot has kind of been the first to find his. Yeah. Okay, now back onto my weird thing I'm going on today, which I'm just going with. So when we had magic on Earth... <laughs> yeah. So our issues now... 
mass farming mm-hmm. and how we treat animals, but we need to do this in order to feed the amount of people in, in the world. We didn't have this issue back then because we had magic farms. <laughs> it all makes sense now. <laughs> the truth is revealed in a sci-fi TV show. <laughs> it's fun to think about, isn't it? I'm such a dork. That made me think of a fun question that we could put out there to the Clatchers. If one ordinary thing in life could run off of magic, what would it be for you? So if we couldn't actually live in a fillery anymore, but say the crops could just grow on their own, or we talk about a lot, if you've seen the movie Fantastic Beasts and Mm -hmm. where to find them, how the food cooks on its own, that is definitely got to be high up there for me. For me, I think it would be travel. Because you know I hate being in a car for longer than an hour. I start bugging out. So if I had the ability to travel to see my parents very quickly, I think that would be it. Yeah, and we're talking a small day-to-day thing, not like cure diseases or Mm -hmm. world hunger, but, you know, do the dishes, do the laundry. So Clatchers, tweet us, write to us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com, however you want to get in touch, and let us know. What would your normal, everyday thing be if it could run off magic? It can be one sentence. Just let us know. I think this will be fun. Let's let's get a bunch of them for the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Okay, back in the library, Dean Fogg recalls how Bigby told him the battle magic would always be where the knowledge is, and the day you need it, it will be your last hope. This leads them to the name of the book, The Last Hope Options, but it is still hard to find in the mass. Off to the task, Penny and Pearl try to crack the number code with no luck. This is where she starts questioning him briefly about the problem with his hands. Alice and Quentin come up with possible anagrams of the book name. And Pearl finally recognizes one as a real book title, Hotel Spa Potions. Okay. Now, I've gone off on a rant before. I <laughs> forgot what show we were doing. Maybe Mr. Robot? I went off on this crazy rant of how much growing up I hated card catalogs. <laughs> hated them with a passion. So I yeah. won't fall down that tunnel again. But isn't it funny that even with magic, card catalogs suck? And their library sucks, but they had such a great explanation for why that was in the books. And I thought for sure we were going to get it here and it was going to be awesome. I don't know if they thought about it and they never had time because they kind of indicated, well, even though we know the book, it's not going to be that easy. And I thought, yes, here it is. It's coming. I can't remember all the details, but a while ago, back in Breakbill's history, they had a librarian who had her own ideas about the way she was going to reorganize the entire library, and she wasn't going to have the books listed alphabetically or in the normal card catalog anymore, and she wanted them to have the ability to fly. Oh, they could fly, by the way. Awesome. At least some of them. She wanted them to have the ability to fly around the library at will, and if you wanted one, you could summon it. And then it would come to you, it would fly to you. But they started to gain their own independence and sense of what they wanted. And they would fly to each other and start mating. So you just would have like books kind of... Well, we did have the mating books You saw them, one. right, humping in midair. And then yeah. they would put themselves back in the wrong places. And eventually it started going more and more haywire until nothing was in the right spot and they couldn't control it anymore. They had a new librarian come in and try to sort it out. She said there were still really old books that were connected to their independence that would never do what they were told. Oh, that's such a fun story. I wish they did do that. Yeah. That reminds me of the monster book in Harry Potter. Yes, totally. And then this whole last hope options where they do this anagram game. This is totally you. You do this for fun. 
you have piles of books that are in my way all the time <laughs> of these like puzzle books that you just run through them like a nerd. Yeah, and I have to say, people are going to get on me for this. A lot of critics say that this is a bad trope to fall back on. Anytime the answer is an anagram, it's weak, but I happen to really like it. I think it's, in this case, it's not weak because Professor Bigby wasn't trying to hide hide it. She wanted it to be easily accessible by right. Professor Fogg or Dean Fogg. So it, she, and you can see, and we'll get into it later, how playful she is. This was her playful way. It makes complete sense. Absolutely. And not only that, there were multiple puzzles that they had to solve. It wasn't just the anagram. Then there were steps after that that they had to figure out too. They had to read the back of the book, yeah. Yeah, so they they finally get the book, Hotel Spa Potions, and they open it to find the chapter has been ripped out. But there is a note inside from Bigby with a riddle. It says, I'll see you quick as 129, where middle leads and last is fine. Summer's here and ne'er retreats, a pretty island made of streets. Surprisingly enough, the person that figures out the first part is Margot. She deduces that an island made of streets is Rhode Island. I love her reaction. Yeah, I got it. Or something like, similar. Duh. Yeah. I love that a couple times throughout the episode, they remind us Margot is not dumb. Mm-hmm. Just because she is sort of the flighty gossip of the group. She could figure some things out. Like you said, though, she didn't have a consistent thread running through. Now that she's not attached to Elliot anymore, she's sort of lost within the group. And maybe that's the point of what they're trying to emphasize. And speaking of Elliot, in Fillory, he learns his wife actually does want to have sex with him. Fen is not opposed to this idea. Elliot is actually not that into it. Not surprisingly so. But instead, he rounds up a group of attractive Valorians and suggests group participation. I can't believe he even proposed this idea to her. I mean, why did he think this was going to go over well? It's not a big deal to him. You can see on his face, like, what? Everyone, this is a way around uh, the rules, and it kind of works. I mean, Elliot is figuring out a way to get his pleasures in. Like Elliot, only Elliot would. Yes, but you have this girl, Fen, who's just a normal from what they described, farm girl, country girl, however they put it, it seems like in this kingdom that kind of stuff doesn't really happen. And your very first sexual interaction with your brand new wife that's uncomfortable already because you don't even know each other, this is what you're going to propose in the bedroom. I just think he could have put a little bit of forethought into that. The second time I watched it, I was able to look more closely at the naked men, I just realized what I said, but <laughs> I wanted to see their faces. Yeah. Because he says, no, they don't mind. Do you guys mind? And they're like, no. The one guy that gave him the look before, he was the one smiling like, no, I don't mind. The other ones are like, no. uh, Whatever you say. Yeah. And that's what she picks up on. She realizes that they're only going along with this because he's high king. I think that disgusts her more than anything else. That's what's not okay to her. So she shoots down the ideas being debased and promises that they can make a new life together. You all look really good naked, he says. (laughs) And he caves in. He has no choice but to. And he says, well, life is about new experiences. I've never been pussy whipped, so. (laughs) Give it a try, I suppose. 
Well, you can tell he does kind of like her and she has a charm to her that's winning him she over. Does. She wants him to do the right thing and to try to make a new life for himself. And I'm not saying he's supposed to immediately change his sexual preference, but not fall right back on the things that are easy mm-hmm. for him. Right now, what his focus needs to be is fixing Fillory, and she is the one to keep reminding him of that. Yeah, she is doing a good job at guiding him without overstepping, mm. without making him feel like he's being told what to do. Yeah. So she is healthy for him, but we do find out that he wasn't able to get it up that night. <laughs> well, he's, even he's, kings have he's that. He's not into women, so. Yeah, <laughs> even kings have that issue. Uh, Sorry about last night. I, we think that it worked the night of their marriage, right, though, when he was ordered to uh, put a baby in her? Yeah, but I guess he had something else on his mind that night. Oh, certainly. <laughs> Just as the crew figures out the entirety of Big B's location, 219 Somerset, a student comes to warn Fogg of a security breach. It is Marina who has come to beg asylum at Breakbills. She tells Fogg about the trickster god Reynard and the danger he poses to everyone. But Fogg says while she can keep her memories, she can't stay here. He kicked her out in the first place because he confused talent with character. I thought this was crazy. We find out now that she was told by Dean Fogg himself that she was the best student he ever had. Talent-wise. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then once again, he was no help. Like, why isn't he helping her? Yes, but I can understand in a sense. He does meet with her. He does hear her out for a second. And she starts to talk. He picks up on the fact that at the base of her character is something bad and dangerous. And he was afraid that she was going to infect the other students with that. And it still remains a problem. As much as he would like to help her, he has to consider however many people he has under his care there, not just her. And she messed it up for herself. Yeah, she must have done something really bad if it was, what what did she say, six days or four days until she graduated? Yeah. She got kicked out. Took her memories, kicked her out. He did let her keep her memories this time and said, hopefully that will help you battle. Yeah, so he wasn't no help. I mean, that's a huge thing. He would have been condemning to her to a death sentence if he had done that. Now... Staying on Dean Fogg, while the crew was figuring out all these puzzles, Yes. again, he just stood there. Yes. There was no help. It kind of <laughs> reminded me of Mycroft in the final season of Sherlock. Yeah. Final episode. Just standing there, basically. Really no help in, in at least figuring it out. Yeah. One thing he does, he takes them next to go visit Bigby, who welcomes Fogg with a kiss. We find out they've had a background once upon a time. She tells the group how battle magic was outlawed because of panic and paranoia. And oh yes, several student deaths that year. (laughs) She also quickly realizes Alice will be the one casting this spell, which she says is good because no one else in the group could handle it. She sees the godlike power in Alice, but also realizes it is waning quickly. Plus, these two like jackrabbits. I mean, you can just smell it. And it is delicious, darling. Big B? We really are in a time crunch. Mm -hmm. There's a lot at stake. Which I told you would be the case someday. Hmm? Well, welcome to someday. I loved her character. And I'm sure I don't think we're going to see any more of her, but she was so fun. You could tell she's a smart woman. And, of course, she's 500, so she's going to be very worldly, right? She's witty. She talks her mind. 
and she's so much fun. And I guess that's what got got her kicked out because she's so passionate about what she believes in, and she she'll just talk her mind. And I'm sure politics is not her strength because she doesn't want it to be her strength. Oh, and she thought, despite the fact that some students had died from this battle magic, they should be learning it. It's important. And she was outvoted. They kicked her out, and they haven't been teaching battle magic there since. But she warned him on the way out, you're going to encounter a time where you're going to realize it was wrong not to teach them this. They will need it in the real world, and you don't have it. What's the character in Harry Potter? You're going to hate me for not remembering. McGonagall. No, we like her. The Catwoman. Professor Umbridge. Perfect. That's what she did that year when she was the head of the school. She was getting rid of all magic that had anything to do with battling or fighting the dark arts. Defense against the dark arts, yeah. And luckily it was stopped in Harry Potter, but in this it looks like it wasn't stopped. And for many years the students didn't learn any battle magic. That's ridiculous. No, they still aren't. That's why Quentin and his group had to teach it to themselves when they were getting ready to go to Fillory. And they don't even have the books or the knowledge where they could learn it on their own. Everything has been taken out. So that's not the student's fault if they're dying. At that stage, you have to say our curriculum is wrong and we have to find a better way to teach them. Yeah. And Fogg kind of does realize it in this moment. Bigby, who we find out had once slipped this spell to Rupert Chatwin prior to the Battle of the Bulge, by the way, has changed history many times with her knowledge. It's just, it's not just in the school where she was teaching children. She was actually spreading that throughout and changing major events. Many times, she said. Over the course of history. Did you like her character? Oh, I loved it. I thought that it was brilliant. It was kind of our first introduction to a non-human character. Mm -hmm. We find out that she's a pixie, and yeah, when you meet her, she's got slightly larger ears, but pretty much she looks like a human. It was all in her her portrayal that you got this kind of otherworldly character. Like you said, the way she speaks her mind, she's very blunt. She doesn't even seem to notice or care what other people think. You definitely realize all the nuances and the things she's doing are because she's a pixie. Yeah. I would love to hang out with her. Denofgeek.com apparently doesn't agree with us. They wrote in regards to Bigby, a less admirable legacy was left by the 500-year-old pixie named Bigsby, who was first fired from Briggsville's for disagreeing with the established policy against learning battle magic. Between the absurdly simplistic riddles, anagrams, really, and the completely awkward reunion between the pixie and Dean Fogg, it was difficult to enjoy the journey towards finding the Rhineman Ultra Spell that Rupert used in the Battle of the Bulge. So I guess it's everything you said. They didn't like the anagrams. It's the anagram Awkward thing. reunion. I, th- I thought that was, it was awkward in Dean Fogg's sense because he was awkward about it, but that's what made it funny. Intentionally so. Yeah. Exactly. And I'm telling you, whenever there's an anagram, critics are just going to get on it and say we don't like it because that's a trope and it's stupid. But sometimes it works and... If you are going to be writing about this show, you need to understand what's happening here, that they are intentionally poking fun at tropes and stereotypes and some of the stories that this builds off of, like Harry Potter and Narnia, and the way that magic is depicted versus how it actually is in real life. That They're pulling all of that in. In places like that, where it's funny and light at the same time, you can tell the show is trying to 
to put that to you. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they just don't quite get everything that's going on, all of the layers that go into that. Completely awkward <laughs> reunion. I feel like you shouldn't be writing a blog if you're not finding these details. And, and I guess you don't have to enjoy it, but not disregard it as something they're, shitty. They're easy things to pick on. That's that's all. And all I can say is I think that a lot of people that do write this stuff haven't read the books and I'm becoming one of those people now. I know I'm sorry, but there's so much more depth to everything. And the TV is series is limited in the amount of time they get to handle each thing. And I think they're doing a very good job of it. Now, Big B didn't exist in the books. She's another series manufactured character on screen for a very little time. I loved her. Do you think Dean Fogg should hire her back to teach the students now? Well, I think that a lot is going to change from this point out. Will there be a final battle at Brickville? She could have a, she could have a place elsewhere. I mean, who knows? She finally gives the spell to Alice. And she warns her, No one but you can be within 20 feet of the blast. It will kill anyone, including your beast. As strong as he is, you're stronger. At least right now. So Alice starts practicing this spell, but she isn't learning fast enough. This, more than anything, see, people will pick little things to tear apart about the episode. This was a huge thing, and it was just glossed right over. They spent the whole episode left fillery, which is a big deal. God only knows how much time could have passed while they were gone to go in search of this book to find this one incredibly powerful spell because this is what would do it. This is what would help them beat the beast. And Alice, the most powerful character on the show, even without the godlike boost, she's able to make magic that nobody's ever even seen the likes of before. Spends about five minutes trying to learn it, says, Whoop, this isn't going so well. So now Dean Fogg comes in and says, it's okay because I've got the answer. Never mind all of this searching and clue figuring out and everything else that we had to do. I actually had this thing here all along. And I'll give it to you now. Yeah, Bigby may not be the only one who tucked the OAC. Oh, I hated. This was the worst part of the episode for me. And why is it always like it's a one hit? Like, you get one chance. Yeah, well, I think the reason it was so awkward was they were just looking for a place to put this concept in because it is a book concept. And it was an amazing book concept. They pretty much took it exactly from there, the whole idea of the caco demon. However, the students received it a lot earlier in the books, before they even first went to Fillory. Huh. So I won't get too far into it. We'll see where this goes next episode, and then I'll explain to you what happened with that. Okay. But I think they always intended to use that, and they couldn't quite find the right place. So they said, oh, we could make her not be able to use the spell, maybe, and so that's why they need it. It felt a little bit awkward, but I'm glad it was there. That scene was brilliant. We're going to Yeah, we're going to get to that in a couple of minutes, the scene where we actually get to see it. First, though, Pearl tries to help Penny. She gives him a remedy which involves tying his hands in the silver chains for 12 hours where he can't look at them and applying a salve. This is where they have their cutesy interactions together. We see that they like each other. She says she may sleep with him someday. But lo and behold, the next day, it seems as though her plan has worked. His hands are now better. 
I thought that scene was a great balance between sensual, playful, and helpful. I feel like we're losing hold on Penny as a character and what he means to the group more and more. Even while they're here together as a crew searching for an answer at Breakbills, he's still off on his own and dealing with his own issues. So I well, guess he I'm, wouldn't be much help. I'm feeling stage. very disjointed with Elliot back in Fillory, the group here, but still kind of apart. Penny with his own struggles, Julia still off with the beast. It feels like we're everywhere, and, and that could be on purpose. I think so. But we're at the beginning of the season. It's going to start off like everywhere, everything's all messed up, and then they're going to join together. I mean, even in the scene, when they're getting those tattoos, Penny's there. And I actually felt like, yeah, Penny's with them again. Like, I, I felt that feeling. And you're not going to get that feeling. But he didn't do anything. He didn't really have a joke. You know, just the chemistry is not there between them, where it, it could be. Even in the moments where we do get to see them together, you don't get a lot of it. You get a few times of giggles with Penny, when he's saying the F word, which he uses a lot. Yeah. Uh, especially in the beginning of the episode when he says it to Josh. Mm-hmm. And when, <laughs> when Margot is like, oh, yeah, I should have remembered about the hidden house because I did it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I hate all of you guys. Like, I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah. I think Elliot right now is the one taking the reins, especially for this episode. He's the one that's giving us that kind of comic relief and then the over yeah silly comic relief again is from the beast from the beast right so it's not like yes penny doesn't have it all all those scenes like we're used to but it's still balanced because other characters are having those scenes yeah it's not just the scenes though it's his place in everything and i wonder if that's a temporary struggle or if things are slipping i've always worried for penny that he wasn't going to quite find his spot in the group and be able to open himself up to connecting to them. And as soon as he did, he was immediately taken out of that at the end of last season and, and the beginning of this with his own challenges. But speaking of Elliot, the next day in Fillory, he apologizes to Fen for the night before. He then realizes the problem is the Florian farmers haven't been fertilizing, so he goes on a grand mission to show them how to sprinkle shit. <laughs> <laughs> And we'll come back to him in a second. First, though, we see that Quentin sneaks off to secretly meet Julia and warn her about their plans for the beast. We can't. I, I know that you're hurting. I just, I, I need you to see that this is bigger than you. The beast, he's killing magic everywhere. And Reynard is killing people everywhere. You think that that's less important? No, I just think that what you want here is revenge. And, and you don't? Just... <laughs> Don't be within 20 feet of the beast when we make our move, okay? Do it before I get Renard. You better not be within 20 miles of me. I came here to warn you, and you're threatening me. Look, I did what I had to do. I... Make up your own mind. This is where we see that she won't back down on her revenge mission against Reynard. Q is about to leave when she tells him about the curse that the beast put on the castle and anyone who assumes the throne, though she doesn't know exactly what it is. Okay, so Q was able to do, write a message in her mirror. That's mm-hmm. pretty cool. So he's got some powers, but how did she get away from the beast? What did she just say? I'm going out for a walk. And he's like, okay, I'm going to sing here. 
Like, he's not really keeping that close of tabs on her, and I don't think she went that far. But it, it was supposedly a secret. He certainly didn't tell any of the group that he was going to see her. They wouldn't have liked that at all. And he's frustrated with her. We talked about this before. She's not listening. She won't back off with her own plan, no matter what that means. And even when she does give him the information, it's not entirely helpful because she doesn't know anything about the spell. So he realizes that he's not going to be able to change her mind. So when she threatens him, and he even points it out, like, I came to help you and you threatened me, mm-hmm. they do end the conversation with her giving at least a little, the little bit amount of help that she can. Well, and I thought the most meaningful part was after that, when he's about to go, and she gives him a look that says a lot. It indicates, I know I'm being crazy, but I still can't stop myself. I know how stupid this all is and how dangerous it is, but I have to follow it through. And he sort of grudgingly agrees to that and leaves. Well, he has to agree. There's nothing else he could do. Yeah, it was pretty sad, though. It's almost like they they both knew this is not going to end well. I'm worried about her. I'm wondering if she's going to go to the dark side. Yeah, that seemed like an admission of something that she was giving up on right there. We're losing her. Well, then comes the scene we've been talking about. Fogg brings the crew downstairs to prepare them for battle. He gets them drunk and then reveals his plan. Cacodemons, which will grow much bigger and have a special word to command them to attack, but they are a one-shot weapon, so they should use them wisely. The group is tattooed with their names, which will connect the demons with their own unique abilities. He puts them into each one through the tattoo in their backs and then seals them up. So they had to get drunk because it's going to be so painful, I'm assuming. Yes, and it looked like it sure was. Now, I have a few tattoos, and anyone who does knows that they won't tattoo you if you're drunk because your blood thins and you will bleed everywhere. Yeah, but these seem like they're semi-magical tattoos, so I guess it's okay because then they're also going to virtually rip your back open to get the demon inside of the tattoo. So nothing makes a lot of sense physically here. Now they're going to grow a lot bigger. So are they going to have like these humps on their back? No, I think that they mean once they release them. Oh, okay. You know, when the time comes. Okay, we just have two more brief scenes left in the episode. First, Fen comes back to Elliot to joyously tell him his plan has worked. The fertilizer is causing the crops to regrow. And just then, the crew returns, and Elliot announces to them, Your high king has agricultural tales to tell. I give you the reign of king shit. (laughs) But there's more work to be done as they still need to kill the beast. Very little rejoicing at this reunion, although once more it seems like not a ton of time has passed. Elliot has gone through this trying to figure out the crop situation, but the crew has been going through their own journey, so it doesn't seem like it was unbalanced, Mm -hmm. the amount of time that's gone by. No, it doesn't seem like it. How did they get there? Uh, We assume through the Netherlands, although they didn't show any further problems with using the fountain. True, but they also just appeared in the castle. So do they have control of where they appear now? Well, I think once they went through the Fillory Fountain, Penny probably traveled them. 
Oh, true. At least that's what I assumed. Okay. But, yeah, all of that, we were so concerned for Elliot that the group was going to leave and, and what would happen if they were gone forever. It just it wasn't even an issue. And then back once more in Julia's apartment, Martin will still not stop singing. With nowhere else to go, Marina turns up to help them with the plan to kill Reynard. Beautiful quote here. Very elegant. You can still live without a dick. And then he starts singing and walking away, and she says, or a tongue. <laughs> I thought that was great. Once more, though, they end the episode on this bizarre scene with Julia and Martin that's sort of a dot, dot, dot. It's anticlimactic. They're just sitting around in the apartment. He's annoying the shit out of her and now Marina, and that's just it. I disagree this time. Okay. I like the way it ended. Uh, It ended on a fun note, but also an eerie. It was fun and eerie at the same time. It's insane. It's That story is about to be pushed forward. We know it now. They have the crew. It's going to be the three of them. Next off is fighting the fox. And... We end off with him singing, and then he closes the door on us, and that's how it ends. Yeah, but and it's I, almost I like, enjoyed that. It's almost like a pause. It's like a, a breath between things. It's not a cliffhanger. It's not a big action moment. It's just a very quiet moment. It, just, it gives you an uncomfortable feeling, and again, could be what they're shooting for. I don't love it. But, but I mean, overall, I thought that the episode was good. Before we get to our overall ratings, I want to talk about our filler request for the episode. We spoke last time about how there's no longer Break Bills U lessons, there's filler requests. So if you haven't gotten the chance to go to the website and check that out, it's pretty cool. Just like last time, the tasks themselves that you have to do. Very menial. Yeah, they're very it's just, simple. It's just connecting the dots. The visuals are cool because every time you do one of the connecting the dots challenges, more of the tattoo is burned into the back. Yes, that was cool. Very awesome. But you know what would have been great is you still incorporate the connecting of the dots, but before you get to do that, they ask a question about the show, mm. and you have to answer it. And when you answer it right, you get to the dots. I think that would have been cool. Anything just slightly more challenging. I mean, yeah. they used the same thing last season, so they haven't mm-hmm. even given you anything new. But like you said, it looked cool. The title of it was Bind Your Caco Demon. They have the caption, Caco demons may be unstoppably malevolent, but they have your back. <laughs> Literally. A Breakbill's magician's weapon of last resort. It will kill anything within your path, but only once, so use wisely. Cast the spell to trap the angry demon in your back. And if you do it, you get a sign that says, Congratulations, a living creature of unspeakable violence is now bound to your body. Just say the words with your name, blank, says, Go free to defeat an enemy. I have a feeling that spell isn't going to work on the beast. (laughs) Yeah, something tells you, right? Okay, Jason, I have two questions for you after this episode. The first one is that we find out our crew wasn't the first children of Earth to find Fillory or ascend to the throne. There were many, actually. Well, we knew there were many children of Earth, but you mean children of Breakbills? Yeah, children of Breakbills and also those that wound up ascending to the throne, being crowned, but then being killed because of the spell that the beast had put on Castle Whitespire. Do you think that's going to be important, who they were, their connection, the fact that there have been a lot of them? 
I mean, Fogg never gave any indication that this is something that's happened before, and I don't know if he even knows that, but... Well, one, that would be Fogg being helpful, and... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't think so, because I think it would take a lot of background story and a lot of time for us to care about a character in the past, another human. Maybe there's something they have to figure out that one of the kings in the past figured out, and Mm -hmm. we'll see maybe um, a glimpse of that, but I don't think so. Okay. It felt to me like there had to be a reason why we were seeing that there's been so many of them when the story was making it feel like there were the Chatwins, they were sort of special rulers, there were other people of Earth that had been here, but not this whole slew of Breakbill's students and other people that had become kings and queens. I was a little shocked myself to learn that. I don't think there was hundreds between the Chapmans and now. Mm-hmm. I think there was a bunch. But throughout time, there's been hundreds. Right. Maybe one is still hiding in there. Fillery. <laughs> He's hiding out in the castle. And speaking of that... We found out that Martin knows a lot more about this as he was the one that put the castle there after Ember made it impossible for him to rule. What do you think this spell is and are they going to be able to get past it? I have no idea. I hope it's something interactive and fun, like a journey or something cool that they have to figure out. It could be a whole episode worth. It could be them doing that while the Beast and Julia are doing their thing. I would really enjoy that because, to be honest with you, I'm almost getting to the point where I want them to be done with the whole Beast and Reynard the Fox storyline subplot and get to the magical world of Fillory, whatever quests and journeys they might have to go on there. We just keep coming back to Earth now. I was all excited that we finally got to Fillory and we're going to see magic magic's gone there. We're going to see this really cool world. We're not spending any time there. And when we are, we're in a farm. (laughs) So Hmm. I'm anxious for the point where we finally do get the kind of quest that we've been dreaming of, the kind that Quentin has been dreaming of. And I I hope that happens sometime soon. All right. So on to our rating. On a scale of one to 10 crowns, what do you give episode two? I'm going to again give it 9.2 crowns. Wow, you like this one. I did. Just as much as episode one, but not anything more. Mm-hmm. I thought it was equally fun. The journey was great. And, you know, when I sit down to watch this show, I sit down with a different frame of mind from our other shows, from Mr. Robot, from Westworld. I don't want to be challenged mentally in that kind of fashion. I want to mm-hmm. go on a journey. And I think they're doing a good job with supplying me with this. Okay. I'm going to give it 8.5 crowns, down a bump from last time. I was at 9 crowns for the premiere. That's pretty typical for me, though. I always really like the episode one, and then you do have to step it down a notch for an episode two. I felt like they stepped it down a couple notches. There's a little bit of a disjointed feeling between all the characters and storylines. I did not like the jump from finally getting the battle magic spell to the demons. And that's just a probably a big factor of reading the books, but also it maybe not being fit into the right spot. So that really affected things for me. But other than that, I do like what they're doing with the characters. I loved the introduction of Bigby. I loved Elliot's journey this episode. So it had some really high points. 
Let's move on to our most valuable magician. And I'll let you go first this time. <laughs> Probably not going to be any surprises as usual, but I'm going to give it to Bigby. Oh, my God. Okay. I thought for sure this time I would have it in a different one than you. I've gotten smart and started putting honoraries because I know this is going to happen every time oh, now. I, so you go, you. you go ahead and say why Bigby, and I'll, right. I'll say this other one. I'm going to read exactly what I wrote. Okay. <laughs> I want to give it to Elliot again, as you can see from the clips I've put into this episode, but I'm going to give it to Bigby. She is awesome. Sexual, smart, funny, beautiful, and powerful. She stands up for what she believes in, even if it gets her fired. That, and talk about being a valuable magician, she is the only one able to teach them battle magic. Yeah, even though it's one spell. But, but. she arms them with one spell that Allison ends up not being able to use, so... <laughs> yeah, it's one of the most powerful ones. You have to be 20 feet away. But yes. it'd be in their best interest to, like, while she's practicing that... Bring Quentin aside and say, all right, here's some other things that you can do. Sure. Here's a freeze one. Here's a blah, blah, blah. You know, that'd be cool. She's enjoyable. She's someone I want to hang out with. Yes. And she lights up the screen. You wish there was more time dedicated to her. It's a great, if this is the last we see of her, a great one-off. She's probably the only one that can loosen Dean Fogg up, too. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, I will give my honorary MBM to Pearl, Professor Sunderland. Call me Precious. <laughs> who, who was able to use her own talents to help with Penny's problem. And we've seen, even though she doesn't get a ton of screen time throughout season one, she usually is able to step in and help. She's got a lot of knowledge. She's perhaps an underrated character within the universe. But I think we'll be seeing more of her now with the relationship to Penny. All right, are you ready to go on to our last and best section, Clatcher's comments? Absolutely. I want to give a big shout out to Cole Trocity, who gave us a review on our Magicians podcast. They wrote, this is the first CKC podcast I've listened to, and I really enjoy their in-depth discussions and the perspective of someone who has read the books versus someone who hasn't. Great show. We really appreciate that. Unfortunately, that's our only one in our region. We've, oh, heard, no. from some, yeah, no. <laughs> We've heard from some of our Clatchers in other regions that we do have a lot of reviews there. But we need to get it up here. We're at the top of the charts for one day, and then we dropped. And the only way to get there, to get other people to know we're around, is for you guys to just write a quick review on iTunes for that channel, the Magician's channel. Just give us the star rating. It can be three words. Just say something cool. Yeah, we really appreciate it. I think you, you also have to write something too, you know, and the stars help you out, but the, the reviews even more so. So if you're listening to this from the U.S., then please, we're going to put that pressure on you <laughs> so that we will be able to see it go on there and, and leave a review. But I mean, if you're listening to from anywhere else, please do that too. Yes. Anywhere <laughs> is helpful. <laughs> we also did get some great words via email and Twitter and other locations. So not that we don't appreciate that. I want to give a shout out to Randy Ladd. To Angela Brown, who was talking about our Westworld podcast, but great that you're listening. Yeah. All of those ones are still up there for Westworld, Mr. Robot, Game of Thrones. We also got... A good review from Game of Thrones, but they did point out something that we have background music in there. Now, Game of Thrones is when we kind of started out. That was our first TV yeah. show review. We didn't know what we were doing, especially no. the first season we were reviewing. And... You know, I thought, how do we stand out from all these Game of Thrones? I know, background music. And 
I guess it's pretty annoying. And as you know, we don't do that anymore. So if we ever have time, I'll go back and edit those out, but that's going to be very time consuming. So I apologize, but I think the content is still good. So we hope you still enjoy it. Yeah. If you just turn the overall volume down a little bit, that helps. And also I believe after the first season we reviewed, which was season four, we stopped doing that. So it does end at some point or we only put it in certain sections and really low. It's not that loud, kind of annoying all the time. So yeah, maybe jump forward a little bit and listen to those ones. But we do appreciate it. I think that's great that we're still getting reviews on other channels. Yeah, and when we go back to Game of Thrones this season, we're certainly going to bring all the knowledge that we've got from these new shows and the experience we have now. So hopefully we can offer um, better content and you will follow us there when that time comes. Also a shout out to Lindsay who gave us some suggestions before we chose the crowns as the way we would be rating. She had Niffins on there, which I really liked. To Anastasia who pointed out that The Magicians isn't airing in Australia which sucks for them. Oh, that's right. Yeah, she did say that. (laughs) Yeah, I feel bad. But she's also somebody that wrote in with a comment comparing this to Buffy and how there are certain things, similarities, where they start out with a little bit of that teen angst but eventually move on to much more adult themes and concepts. Do we definitely agree? And Simon was the one who actually provided the articles that we discussed about the magicians and the reviews on it. On our Twitter, at CKC Podcast, at Ambella1 wrote to us, Literally, the only reason I just binge-watched The Magicians was so that I could keep listening to your podcast. Glad I stuck with it, because it got so much better as it went on. Can't wait to listen to the new episode. So thank you so much. We love when we get Twitter comments and Facebook comments. So another homework assignment. Join <laughs> us on there. At CKC Podcast. We're very easy to find. If you go to our website, coffeeclasscrew.com, you can see the plethora of things that we have for you guys. We have CKC gear that you can pick up. Mm-hmm. We have our Patreon page where we have bonus episodes every month and movie reviews every month. And we really enjoy doing it. It's so much fun. Yeah, that's two separate podcasts. The bonus ones, we do extra recordings, a little more laid back and casual conversation about other things that we're watching or other topics completely unrelated to TV and movies. And then on the next level up from that, we have movie reviews where we go out and see a movie that's hot this month, do our research, and tell you all about it. So we'd really like to gain more on the Patreon level. Believe me, you won't regret it. Our current patrons seem like they're having a lot of fun with us, Mm -hmm. and it's a great journey to be on. And you would love the movie that we're thinking about doing next month. And you can only find out if you're a Patreon member. And there's plenty of other fun stuff on the coffeeclatchcrew.com. So when you're bored, go check it out. And if you have stuff to give us, we always appreciate that. Such as at the Gray Mac gave us a new suggestion for something to look into. It's a show called Fortitude set in Norway with an international cast. He said it's very weird. Seems like it's right up our alley and we should check it out. I think he means, because I'm very weird. Oh, well, that too. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we have for this time. Our final clip is to give you a preview of the next episode. So if you are afraid of spoilers, we will see you next time. For everybody still here, for episode three, we will be reviewing Divine Elimination. Quentin and the crew prepare to face the beast again. Julia conspires with the beast and their new ally to lure and trap Reynard. 
and Martin shows down with Alice as the group watches. And that looked intense. Yeah, it looks like Alice kicked some ass finally. That's going to be a crazy battle scene. I'm excited that it will finally culminate into some action. So that's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We can't wait for this Wednesday to watch the next episode. And until next time, this round's on me. This round is on me! Oh, simply a shock. Is it the good turtle soup? Or merely the mock? Jesus Christ. Is it a cocktail? This feeling of joy? He has to stop. Or is what I feel the real McCoy? Ah, oh, don't make me wait, ladies. Are we three going to kill a god? Yeah, for starters. Is it Granada? I see your only Asbury Park. Is it a fancy you lose like a glove? Or is it that long?